Sales Enablement Society, Stories from the Trenches, where enablement practitioners share their real-world experiences. Get the scoop on what's happening inside sales enablement teams across the global SES member community. Each segment of Stories from the Trenches share the good, the bad, and the ugly practices of corporate sales enablement initiatives. Learn what worked, what didn't work, and how obstacles were eliminated by corporate teams and leadership. Sit back, grab a cold one, and join host Paul Butterfield, Vice President of Sales Enablement at Instructure, for casual conversations about the wide and varied profession of sales enablement, where there is never a one-size-fits-all solution. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Stories from the Trenches, the Sales Enablement Society podcast that is really unique in that we have practitioners come on and talk about the amazing things they're doing, maybe sometimes some of the face plants that they've survived and how they went back and fixed it. But in general, we're just learning from each other. And that's very unique in the Sales Enablement podcast world. So I'm excited to introduce you to today's guest. She's someone that I've known for a while. I imagine quite a few of you may know her or be familiar with her. Sarah Frick from Ring Central, welcome. Welcome. Thank you, Paul. Let's take a couple of minutes for those that don't already know you. Um, just a little bit of introduction about yourself. Happy to. So I have been with Ring Central for five years. And before that, I was with Gartner. And I've had the pleasure to watch the enablement profession grow. So I started my career in sales, like many of us, but not all of us. That happens to be my particular background. And I did something which I call scribbling, which is I did a little bit of an ops role. I did a little bit of a chief of staff role. I did a little bit of a true, what you know, is defined as enablement today, but wasn't back then. And I had the chance at Gartner to actually true challenge ourselves study teams that had been spun up as enablers and what they were doing and see that some was, you know, the traditional L&D profile moving over. Some were ex-sales people. Some was ex-marketing folks. Some was ex-product folks and define what kind of enabler did I want to be. And the way my team and, and I define our work is that we are trusted advisors to the, the executive that we are supporting. And I really, really love the career I've built today and the phenomenal team that I run here at Rank Central. I'm curious, roughly what years were you at Gartner and doing some of that research and exploration? Oof, you're going to date me. No, I'm just kidding. So, um, I'm old. So, I could date myself uh, way worse. <laughs> Right before uh, Ring Central, I was with Gartner for four years. So it started in the late 2000s up into today. I was just curious because I have been in enablement 11 years now. I'm one of those people that came from sales, literally sales director on Friday, sales enablement director Monday. Sorry, I'll tell you another time, maybe in Atlanta. But it was kind of the same thing, right? And then you, some of the things you were saying were just reminding me of what my journey was to figure that all out and what it meant. And Gartner was one of the resources. Yeah. Forrester was another one, but there's a lot to learn back then. And it's so different now. It's funny how our everyone has their own career path into enablement. And it's mm-hmm. really cool to watch folks like yourself and others who have done it for the 10-year mark, right, set the foundation. So I would say I've truly been in enablement, let's call it 
eight years. So I was a little bit behind you, Paul. You know what? I don't know how much foundation I set, but I certainly was able to climb on the backs and shoulders of giants like Rod Jefferson and Scott Santucci and some others that I'll apologize. It was just there start coming to mind right away. But I was glad they were out there. I could figure out what they learned and go from there. So um, well, so the reason all of our jobs to learn from each other, do something different. Yeah, which is the best part of this podcast, in my opinion. So for everyone listening, Sarah and I earlier this summer happened to be both speaking at the same event. And we got to talking because our topics happened to have some interlock. And so we were talking about that. And she introduced me to a concept that she's been using, developed and had success with. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Sarah, but it's pretty much it's a happiness survey. Is that accurate? That's accurate. Okay. Our chief revenue officer said, hey, Sarah, I need you to do two things. Right, get more folks to attainment and keep our team happy. And I said, Well, how do we measure happy? And he said, Cool, you go figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. And we've all done different kinds of surveys. And I had just never heard of anybody put it that way. And frankly, had never thought of it myself or seen it done. So as we talk through it, and that's why I appreciate you being here, I thought this is something that more people need to know about, and maybe they iterate on it. So if you would start off with, you kind of mentioned the directive given by your CRO, but but where did you go from there? What was the origin of what you have now? There was a little bit of you know initial positioning. So mm-hmm. as I said, my directive was keep the team happy. Mm-hmm. And as enablers, we're often done do things that are what I would define as, you know, not measurable sometimes, right? Or there mm-hmm. are multiple different sources that have to measure that item. But it's important that we do take attrition, how managers are managing and coaching, and what the territory looks like for that individual. That all plays into how happy someone is. So we defined the happiness survey, keeping it to no more than 10 questions and looking at questions that could trend survey over survey. And what we were looking to define were things that were totally different than what HR was asking today. Typical HR teams, we have a survey that's run annually and looks at how happy are you at Central? Are you likely to refer people to Ring Central? All of those fun Mm -hmm. attributes. This was different because this was are you happy at the company, but followed by in your role? How often is your manager coaching you today? How would you rank these areas of support for you as a business? And what's most important for us to continue to invest in as a resource for you to be able to sell more in the industry? So we really focus the questions around gaining feedback to then feed cross-functional teams that could solution for making sales even more effective. And that differentiated us from the HR survey. I did work with our HR team to make sure we could trend and not run the survey at the same points in time in the year. So as okay. an example, we always run ours in Q1, which is all, you know, usually around kickoff. We use it as their cash-in to be able to go to the event. And then we also mm-hmm. run it in Q3, where in Q2, our annual survey runs from HR. And in Q4, we all know what we're doing in Q4, which is close the business. So what we've aligned is a a twice-a-year survey that's offset from the times in which we're running it with HR, but does allow us to trend the two single most important questions. How do you feel about working here at Ring Central on an NPS Mm -hmm. scale? And how likely are you to refer your friends and, and colleagues and family to Ring Central? So we do those as the bookend to our survey. I can share that data with HR, and likewise, they can share ours, and we look at that from an annual view. 
So I have a couple questions on that. I'll, I'll start with the easy, I think easy one. You're able to do it twice a year because HR only does theirs once a year. Did I hear that correctly? That's right. Mm-hmm. So where I work, in fact, the last, the last company I worked as well, they did employee engagement surveys twice a year. And you're right with Q4, and that's not when they do one of them. They, they do them Q1 and Q3. That if, if, mm-hmm. if a company was in that situation, could only do the happiness survey once a year, could it still be effective without having as many data points? It could. I would definitely suggest like a first half, second half view. So at a minimum, in that case, Paul, I would suggest doing one in Q4, which is doing it very early, like the first week okay. of of the quarter right. and aligning it with something that, and this is the most important fact, right? Aligning it with your sales leadership and support. So we don't send yes. it out from enable. It gets right. sent from our chief revenue officer. It gets measured, and I report to each of his leadership team, and they drive the engagement in the survey. So if you're going to do something in Q4, I might align it to maybe you know their Q4 kickoff, their Q4 QAM. Maybe it's one of their big events they're throwing to get everyone jazzed about closing the quarter, things mm-hmm. of that nature, so that and maybe make it a little bit more rolling. So we try to keep it to the survey being out for two full weeks for folks to take it. In Q4, okay. you might do, say, launch your small business at a different time than your enterprise team, et cetera, um, okay. just and be um, lenient with the time. I don't think that, you know, extending that to four weeks would decrease the results from your survey. Okay. And you inadvertently answered my second question, which is, who does the survey come from? So let's talk about the evolution. I'm assuming that what you launched two years ago um, isn't exactly what you're running now. And we'd love to hear about that. Absolutely. So when we first started, it was very focused on getting sales feedback versus mm-hmm. getting rate how something was done. And so okay. always keep the first and the last question the same as I shared, which are the more HR overview of the company. Then in mm-hmm. between, we try to get really specific into sales specific. So things like how often are you receiving coaching from your manager, things like rate the following groups and the level of support they're giving you in your role. So what we found was is that deal desk, which is a way in which we book business in the system, was the highest rated every single time. But then we did an open-ended question right after that where we got a lot of feedback from the team that they were having to go back and forth with that group, you know, 10 to 13 times to get an wow. answer to their question, right? So wow. how do we put mm-hmm. things in place where things are routed differently in that group? Maybe there is standard language that's used. And so we started asking in the following survey, for example, and for them to propose solutions. And so it gave us a really good way where, again, we can work with a cross-functional group to make sure that sales is best supported. So about three to four questions in every survey changed, depending mm-hmm. on what was stated in the previous survey, and we identified as the biggest gap area. The way we get to that is we look through all the open-ended questions, we do word clouds, we review that with the sales leadership team, and each leader gets their own report out where we show them trending quarter over quarter. So as an example, your NPS score, you know, fell from 50 to 45. And here's Mm -hmm. the three leading reasons that were mentioned. So we give them kind of that summary effect at the top level. And then on each of our zeros, all hands, he does a readout of where we stand against the top five issues from the survey. So my team and I spend a lot of time 
culminating the top five and then putting a team against it and putting a date against making sure it happens. I'm curious, and and we'll just stick with the example that you shared with DealDesk. How well was that feedback received? And just in general, maybe even other departments, right? How did you finesse that and, and work with them once you had this data? Honestly, Paul, what I found is the groups internally were extremely open now that they had data. Now that okay. they realized 80% of the sales team was asking for this, right? They're a lot more willing to make that change where cross-functional groups previously were like, well, I heard that from two or three reps, but is that the majority? Am I solving for something that's really going to move the needle? And without specifics, it probably just felt like drive-by criticism, which sales fairly yeah. or unfairly has a reputation for doing, right? So. <laughs> exactly. Like our quoting tool is a great one, right? We asked yeah. for... They were giving a lot of feedback from an open text perspective. So we asked them to give an MPS on the tool mm-hmm. in the next survey. And that was really helpful to give directive to our operations team that's supporting that, that we need to prioritize this as a project. And then the following survey, I actually asked for examples of what they'd like to change. And I was able to give them a list of thousands, right, and, and summarize it by big buckets. And that gave them a project plan to start from. That's really good news that you found that people were, and it makes sense. It it makes sense that my experience, most people, regardless of what they do in their work, want to come every day and give it their all and and, and make a difference. And so I can see where if you're coming in and you're saying, hey, you know, here's some ways and you're approaching it collaboratively, that would be received that way. But I'm glad to hear that. Other big steps or uh, evolutionary changes that you've seen besides iterating based on the feedback that you get on the previous survey? I'd say the other big things come from shifting leadership priorities, right? Okay. So, as example, we brought in a new president, and he was testing, you know, these are our big five things we solved for next year. So I was mm-hmm. able to, through the survey, ask everyone to rank which are the most important to you. Mm-hmm. That way, he going into planning for the year, what was most important to sales, and sales had a voice at that table. So we really turned the survey into sales' voice and allowing yeah. them to, you know, have input on things that they might not have previously, because those usually were, you know, board-level discussions and then came down to folks versus being able to proactively provide information of what how sales is feeling and the sentiment. And I find it interesting that your new president chose this survey to go get that information rather than the corporate process. I I assume that some of that is your corporate process is anonymous, as is this, but with your survey, they knew it was coming from the sales org. Is that accurate? Yes. I'd also say that typically I've found corporate surveys to be more rigid in timeline and who has access to data, et cetera. Our survey is anonymous. We identify by segment and by group so we can break down data that way, but we do keep it anonymous. We don't ask for folks' names. The way we're doing it allows us to give more people access to the data and therefore more insight into what the team cares about. You mentioned cross-team, or you've been able to drive uh, engagement you know, cross-function across teams. You mentioned deal desk, and I, that seemed like an example of that. What are some other functional areas where you've been able to see progress in, in terms of relationship, working relationships with the sales teams? It really ranges across the board from finance to legal to operations to marketing. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody interacts with the sales team. And mm-hmm. at some point, we've used to provide them proactive feedback. 
I would say the biggest area is operations, given how close sales ops is to sales. But mm-hmm. oftentimes, sales ops is getting the person who's frustrated because the button doesn't work, right? Yeah. Not yeah. the general census. So they really love this survey to allow them to prioritize the projects that are going to be most impactful to the team. That's an interesting one. You're right. Everything that they, I mean, our RevOps team here is actually one of the best I've worked with anywhere. And they do, they call regular office hours. They do other things, but I'll bet if I were to ask them, you're right. It's that case here too, that people come to the very tactical, Hey, the numbers in Clary are right or something this or something that, right? So that's one to think about. I'm curious when you first approach HR and, and I don't, not casting aspersions on your HR. I'm just, in my career in general, I've worked with HR departments that would not have been receptive to a a functional group doing their own version of surveying. How did that conversation go? You know, do you have any advice for anybody that, that wants to approach this with their HR team? I cannot say I did not step on that same grenade. (laughs) Yeah. I approached it like we all do in a collaborative Mm -hmm. way. But in that case, honestly, Paul, I went to our chief revenue officer and I said, here's what I'm suggesting as the plan. I need you to deliver this and say Sarah mm-hmm. is going to act on it. Um, okay. So I think you have to use the power of your sales leadership to drive yes. that change within the organization. And now that you've had the chance to run these surveys kind of side by side for a couple of years, have you found really useful ways of looking at both sets of data to come up with something that maybe neither said on their own. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah. But when you mean like the corporate survey versus happiness? Right. I just didn't know if there was a chance to like, like I say, somehow corroborate some of that data or, or look at it to come up with insights. Maybe not. I don't know. We have definitely from a happiness at rank central, right? Like the mm-hmm. top level. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting that we found that it's uh, quarter dependent. (laughs) Like, weirdly, like people are happier in the spring and the summer, right? Probably because they're taking more vacations, right? Mm -hmm. Versus Mm -hmm. in the winter months, et cetera. So, we've seen a lot of seasonality in how how folks are answering. And it's also very global dependent. Where does someone sit? And, like, what is their team typically going through during that point in time? It sounds like a very successful process. So congratulations on that. It also sounds like it could be a bit labor intensive. Where does it really sit within the enablement team? And you know, how much of a lift is it once you get it started, of course? I very simply got a corporate license for SurveyMonkey and mm-hmm. that's how we spun it up. I like SurveyMonkey because it had the analytics already built in. So the ability to do a word cloud and to add a logo to the program and to really brand it internally was already okay. built in platform. I, there's plenty of survey providers out there, but I'd say don't reinvent the wheel. Definitely invest in the survey technology. <laughs> right, um, right. Like in Google Drive and try to trying to do that yourself or, or Google um, Form. I just, Forms. I think it's yeah. not. I just wouldn't go there. The overall list, I would say, was initially designing the survey. The edit in the first and the second half of the year are not a huge deal. You just call a meeting with your sales leaders and make them make a decision in that meeting. The analysis of the data, breaking it down by group. Again, SurveyMonkey has the ability to edit within the platform and send a unique link to that, to those particular groups, which I found very useful. So I'd say make sure that your technology has the analytics that you need 
and the right. ability to break it down with a secure link and a password for each leader that you need to be able to send the results to. If I had to okay. like export different Excel docs and do all of that, I think that would have been too robust. The yeah. biggest lift that we do is um, actually creating an executive summary of the program, which is where those top five are identified. That typically takes me a day to fully go through the data and a day to put together the executive insights. Okay, well, that doesn't sound too bad, but I wasn't aware of that functionality to be able to, to, like I said, create unique and secure links by leader, by team, by region, by go-to-market. I mean, really, I guess you could do any way that you wanted to be able to to carve up your results. That, so that sounds like it'd be really helpful. How yeah. what was the initial response from the sales leaders to this idea? Did they like it? Was it mixed? It was always insight that they were looking to get from their teams and had never mm-hmm. gotten in an order fashion. So, I, honestly, it was coming from their boss. So, you know, well, a lot of people don't right. guess at that point. And he right. was the one introducing the program. Again, I used him to feed that change management. My boss has this expression that he's used as long as I've known him, which is what's interesting to your boss should fascinate you and, and probably applies a little bit here. So um, the minute they saw the first survey results, everything yeah. People who are constantly asking me, when are we running the next one? That's great. That's a real success story. Uh, we don't hear that often enough in enablement, do we? Hey, when are we nope. doing this again? So just to round it out, if there, is there any other piece of advice or uh, that you'd want to share with someone listening that's thinking that they want to explore this as maybe a 2023 initiative? I say the biggest thing is you just, you just got to get started. I mean, we were smart in how we did our first ones and aligning with the HR survey, right, and having trending questions. But other than that, in the middle questions that are about sales, think of the general things you get asked over and over and over again, right? Okay. Um, so things you want to ask in the survey to make sure and double check. So the way we got started with our initial questions was I called a core group someone from marketing, someone from ops, someone from finance, someone from legal, and gathered the top five things that they really needed to know about the sales team. And those Mm -hmm. were our first five. To me, this is just a great success story and something that I'm sure I'm not the only one hadn't really heard of before. So really appreciate you spending time walking us through. Before I let you go, I'd love to ask you to drop one more knowledge bomb on our listeners. If you could go back in time and have you just get one chance to have a one-on-one with yourself, maybe while you're in school, right after you got out, maybe a teenager, doesn't matter, but some version of your younger self, and you could only coach yourself in one area, what would you want that person to know that you've had to learn over time? That careers are not a ladder. It's a bunch of scribbling on a piece of paper. Interesting. Okay. And what I mean by that is just because you thought you'd be a lawyer or a doctor or a salesperson mm-hmm. or a marketeer, it's not a direct path where you go from analyst to manager to senior manager to director to senior director. You have to wear different hats. Like I said, mm-hmm. I was the chief of staff. I was in ops. I mean, you try different types of roles, and that's what makes you well-rounded to mm-hmm. take that full position. Leaders don't, I don't want to say never say no, right? But they start with, what could I learn from taking that experience under my belt and scribbling over here for a little bit so that I see the full picture? That is great advice. And thank you. Thanks again for your time. And I want to thank our listeners for investing another half hour of your time. 
in coming and listening to the podcast. Please, if you found something that you uh, found useful or interesting, spread the word. Uh, there's a lot of folks out there in the enablement profession, and there's always opportunity to learn from each other. So until next time, stay safe, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for joining this episode of Stories from the Trenches. For more sales enablement resources, be sure to join the Sales Enablement Society at www.sesociety.org. That's www.sesociety.org. 